Today's scripture lesson comes from Matthew chapter 27, verses 51 to 54. You can follow along on the bulletin or watch it on your screen if you're at home. Hear the words. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. After his resurrection, they came out of the tombs and entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were terrified and said, truly, this man was God's son. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to begin today a series of sermons for the season of Lent that will continue through Palm Passion Sunday. And I'd like to title this series, Were You There? And what I propose to do is to look at the crucifixion of Jesus from the perspectives of several folks who were actually there. Um, This morning I want to view things through the eyes of a centurion And the format that I've chosen is that of a letter. I've composed a letter addressed to us from this centurion. And I'll do this every week with the different characters who were surrounding the cross and who were there as our Lord died. Hopefully we can look upon the cross of Christ in some different ways with a little bit wider eyes as we consider the perspectives of some other folks. So I want us to listen for for a few minutes now this morning to this letter from one who was there. And the letter came addressed to Noonan First United Methodist Church, 33 Greenville Street, Noonan, Georgia, 30263. And it was dated February the 21st, 2021. And it begins, Dear sisters and brothers in Christ, greetings from Marcus, a centurion. I've been asked to write to you and to share with you my eyewitness account of the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You might question, to, question my ability to recall the events of that fateful day so long ago. How could I ever forget something that made such a, a deep impression on me? Instead of fading, the image grows sharper with every passing year. It might help here at the outset if I told you a little bit about what a centurion was and and what we did and why our work was important in that day, the day when Jesus walked this earth. A centurion was the commanding officer of a century, nominally a hundred foot soldiers in the Roman army. There were 10 centurions in a cohort and 60 in a legion. The number of centurions in the legion seems to have remained about the same, even when the number of legionary soldiers increased or decreased beyond the usual 6,000. Although theoretically we centurions were subordinate to the six legendary or legionary tribunes, and we often deferred to them, what we actually were were the working officers. We were the backbone of the Roman army. The discipline and efficiency of the legion as a fighting unit depended on us. A fellow named Polybius described us like this. 
He said centurions are required not to be bold and adventurous so much as just good leaders of steady and prudent mind, not prone to take the offensive or to start fighting wantonly, but able when overwhelmed and hard-pressed to stand fast and to die at their post. Career folks, we centurions were often the most experienced and the best informed people in the army. The office was the highest to which the ordinary soldier might aspire. Frequently chosen from the ranks, some of us had been members of the cavalry who through insufficiency of means or failure to advance were resigned to accept a centurion's commission. We could pre- promote it slowly or rapidly as the case might be. And an ascending scale of responsibility from cohort to cohort, from legion to legion, even until we became the senior centurion, the primus pilus, the leader of the first of the ten cohorts in the legion, and a position of very high importance and prominence, and people respected us for our rank and our ability. This system of promotion by transfer to keep the troops loyal to some and kept us from too much fraternizing with our, with our men. It also provided varied experiences, a wide acceptance with the empire, and if I do say so myself, it made for a very intelligent and good-looking corps of officers. Our duties as centurions were various. First, we were responsible for discipline. We carried staffs shaped like vines that we often had to use on the backs of our men. We supervised scourgings, lashings, and the execution of capital penalties. Then there were our responsibilities for drill, inspection of arms, quartermaster duties, command in camp and field. We assigned specific duties to our men, and many of us were susceptible to, to bribes that would supplant our salaries. That bribery thing is, is nothing new. We might be detailed for command of the auxiliaries or for a variety of special tasks, such as those assigned to Cornelius and Julius. And you may have read about those centurions in the book of Acts. If not, look them up and see what they were up to in their day and times. And sometimes those duties would separate us temporarily from our troops and often from our families, of course. In addition to the prestige associated with our office, the high pay and generous bonus granted on discharge made the prospect of becoming primus palace very attractive. To those who were ambitious among us, often we stayed in the army much beyond the 20 years that were required when we were drafted. Usually after discharge, we went back into private life. Some became legionary tribunes or even procurators, governors, like one you may recognize by the name of Pontius Pilate. The importance of us centurions in the Roman army and in the life of the empire is reflected in the fact that we figure more frequently in the New Testament than any other officers mentioned in the Roman army. One of us came to Jesus once about the healing of a servant. You might remember that story. And one of us escorted the Apostle Paul on his final journey to Rome. You can read about that in your Bible in Acts chapter 27. 
Like I said earlier, I could never forget the day that they, I mean we, I mean me, crucified Jesus. Let me tell you a little bit about crucifixions. There's much to tell, and it was a horrible thing, but just a little bit. It's not something most folk in your day are familiar with. It was a form of execution practiced in antiquity whereby the condemned were hanged or nailed to a cross or to a tree. It was practiced in the eastern Mediterranean long before the Romans adopted the practice. It's been around a while. It was a practice by the Persians and, and other people. Alexander the Great is said to have or reported to have crucified thousands of folks. And he had successors who carried on this cruel, terrible form of punishment. It's not surprising that in the time of we Romans, this form of execution was primarily for murderous or rebellious slaves. And it came to be known as the slave's punishment. We didn't execute folks for stealing things or for minor offenses. Usually for those who would rebel against the empire and start revolutions against Rome, those were the folks who were often crucified to make an example out of them, not to punish them so much, but just to, to send a message to other folks that the empire ruled and that those who dared to stand up to the empire or to cause any kind of revolt were to be dealt with quickly and harshly. There were some Jewish authorities who used crucifixion before the time of the Romans. There was a guy named Alexander Janius, and uh, Josephus tells us that on occasion he had crucified a large number of Pharisees, something we don't think about too much. It's mentioned in the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Romans placed along well-traveled highways. This is where they would put the crosses for executions. They wanted everybody to see we talk about, you talk about a hill called Calvary. Sometimes executions were on a hill, but normally at the gates of the city on the well-traveled highways. We wanted people to see what we were capable of. We wanted folks to know who had the real power in our day and time. And it was a painful kind of punishment. And often signs, titulus, were hung around us neck of the condemned and it had their name and it had their offense there and you remember the sign that was hung on Jesus I remember seeing it that day king of the Jews is the sign that the procurator Pilate had asked for placed there so people would know Crucifixion victims were often beaten and scourged as was Jesus and sometimes within an inch of their life and those folk would die more quickly. Guards were stationed at the places of execution. And they had to stay there until the folks had actually died. And the Romans, we had a way of leaving the bodies on the crosses until the vultures sort of picked them clean. But the Jewish folks, they had these mosaic laws and things that the body had to be buried on the same day that the person died. So we, we would accommodate that. I mean, what did it matter? They were already dead. And so many things about crucifixion that you're not used to in your, your day and time. Jesus was taken down from the cross and buried that day. And 
you may have read about it. In 1968, a tomb was uncovered, and in the tomb, three skeletons. And one of those skeletons had obviously died by crucifixion because there was still a metal spike through the ankle bone from the side. And it was a bent. The spike had bent and could not be pulled out easily. And it's a real reminder that in the day of Pilate, people were actually crucified. And that horrible kind of death took place. Pontius Pilate oversaw that, as did other Roman procurators. Now, the day that Jesus died started out just like any other day for me, any other day at the office, so to speak. Friday was my day to supervise executions, and it had been for quite a while. I never paid any attention to who the poor unfortunates were who were to die on those days. The whole process had become rather routine. Escort them out in the morning, nail them up by noon, and, and leave them on the cross until they died. And being a centurion, I could go home at nightfall and have dinner with my wife and the kids and the other soldiers. They had to stay out there until death came. Sometimes the legs were broken to hasten death so the bodies could be taken down and buried before sunrise. Sometimes it took days for folks to die. But mercifully, Jesus died after about three hours. That's one thing that was different about him. Another thing, most of the folks that we took out to crucify were kicking and screaming and declaring their innocence. Jesus never struggled. He said very little. I do remember the pain in his voice and the agony when he did cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? The stark loneliness in that voice. But it seemed to be some kind of signal. Because at the time that, that Jesus cried out, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Rocks were split, tombs were open. And dead folks were seen walking around, even in Jerusalem. It was all too much for me. I was filled with a sense of awe and wonder and surrounded by a holy presence. Though I had never been one to care too much for things holy, that was for weak folks and other folks. Powerful presence. The outward manifestation the earthquakes, the tombs opening, all that was nothing compared to the earthquake in my own heart and the changes that were taking place in my life when all of this were happening. My heart was rumbling and churning and breaking. I found myself and heard myself saying something that no Gentile had ever said before. Truly, this was the Son of God. And I was moved and I was awed and I was terrified. What I saw that day changed me forever. How anyone could look on that scene from a few feet away or from 2,000 years away and not be changed is beyond me. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? They, I was they. You are too. I was there. And so were you. And the letter is signed Marcus, a soldier 
of the cross. Amen.